0: I am Carl Christensen, back with Johnny Nielsen and the infamous Timothy Cox, and today we are joined by... uh, do I call you doctor? I mean, nominally, we have to start that way at
1: least. We <laughs> sure. Ha- <laughs> the, the one time in my life where I'll get credit for having a doctor. Please. Yeah. I,
0: we do have to disambiguate. We're doing this pre, <laughs> pre-meeting pre as well, the uh, pre-podcast, disambiguate between the Dr. Johnny and the Dr. Mike Vodomsky. So we have di- doctor <laughs> uh, of medicine and doctor of data science, um, doctor of philosophy. I guess that's what it technically is. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. Um, Mike Vodomsky, who's joining our podcast for the first time. Welcome, Mike.
1: Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, definitely not a real doctor, as my kids will tell you. I can't help you if you are injured. I will most likely just call 911 and hope there's a doctor around. So <laughs> you don't have to call me doctor anymore, but yeah, okay. one time's nice. Right,
0: right. Well, so uh, we've had some, you, you joined a litany of, of real quality uh, uh, uh guests that we've had on the podcast before that are also the variety of doctor that we don't refer to as doctor normally but um the uh yeah we dispense with that pretty quickly especially because this is learn it from a layman and so nobody wants to hear about a doctor of chemistry a doctor of biology a doctor of whatever you else might be they want to hear about uh medical doctors but anyway moving on um today we're going to be discussing data science because um uh, Mike here has uh, a wealth of information about that. And uh, I guess I'll do a little bio for, of you, Mike. And if I forget anything, we'll, uh, you can add that at the end. So doctorate okay. from the uh, University of Virginia. Yes, um, sir. And that's the Cavaliers.
1: Oh, there you go. You know it's the Cavaliers. Come on. <laughs> I mean, NCAA basketball champs, right? That's true. I mean, the-
0: yeah. All right. Well, okay. All right. That's enough um <laughs> the, the uh, and and you've since uh, your doctorate then you've gone on and worked at a couple uh, well a number of different places but uh notably most recently you're now at Nike is that correct
1: that is correct yes
0: all right today the scientist at Nike um, and so uh, you've got a lot of industry experience and obviously having a doctorate a lot of experience with the tools and the educational side of data science as well. So um, let's start with what is data science? So we're talking to a layman. Data science sounds a bit esoteric, as does the the word esoteric.
1: Okay. So the thing is, you're going to get 20 different answers from 20 different people, but I'm going to give you my version of it. And then all the data scientists out there that hear this can just, you know, get upset and uh, think of their own definition on their own time. (laughs) So, so, So the name, it sounds kind of, you know, scientists will often be like, oh, data science, that's not science. Come on, real science, you perform experiments. But the idea is, You're trying to be scientific in your approach to using data to perform analyses, especially on data that wasn't really produced with, say, experiments in mind, so like observational data. Um, So I would say data science is essentially using scientific method and an iterative approach to understanding processes or predicting things and modeling processes in the world, uh, in a way that is rigorous and um, iter- iter- iterative. How's that?
0: That sounds great. Awesome. I like it. The one thing you did say, so we, I did a podcast, I don't know, beginning of last, end of last year, about my basic understanding of machine learning, which really is only in the context of, of language because that's my background. But um, so you met, said modeling, which is a word that you know I know is big in the machine learning area what is the overlap between machine learning and data science and are they one and the same or what's how would you uh, differentiate
1: those yeah that's a, that's a really that's actually a really good question because it's kind of so i'm i'm gonna say the original concept of data science was a lot more all-encompassing and that was you know that was basically statistics were uh, i think more heavily emphasized um And it was more of like an exploration. So exploratory data analysis is is always going to be a part of any modeling effort. I mean, it's it's essential. Um, But it feels like in the early days, a data scientist was sort of responsible for doing what what would now be considered mostly analyst work, um, but also doing statistical testing, uh, which you need to do uh, as well when you're doing machine learning, Um, all the way through building machine learning models, and uh, building entire pipelines, but there's sort of been a divide in the last little bit. I, I don't know exactly when it happened, but in the last uh, few years where you have, really you have the machine learning engineers are kind of one thing, and they sort of build tools and pipelines. These are things that are gonna be in production and support uh, in a lot of cases, sort of consumer facing applications. And then the that's that's sort of, you know, the machine learning side and data science uh, is often used with that in mind, and then there's sort of analytics, which is kind of the other sort of split of data science, which is more of the exploring things, building one-off models, which is you know trying to model a process. Um, but it's it's less building tools and processes and pipelines, and more sort of ad hoc and exploratory, and often more business focused, as in like the business has a question, or there's something that we need to understand. So you're slicing and dicing, uh, maybe doing some um, simple models that that uh, don't need to go into production. So sort of the split between analytics and sort of machine learning, engineering, uh, all which fit under the umbrella of data science. Um, but that's kind of something that's, it's, it's evolved into that. But a data scientist is someone who can do any of those things, right? You can be a, a SQL jockey and, and do that most of the day and be called a data scientist, or you can be, you know, building MLOps pipelines and, uh, you know, Doing putting things in production all day, and also a data scientist. So generally, a machine learning engineer focuses more on the pipelines, and analytics is more on the analysis stuff.
0: Does okay, that clarify? So I think so. So my understanding of what you just said, essentially a data scientist would take, they have the knowledge of the machine learning stuff, but they um, are essentially pl- applying that to a specific problem in order to kind of try- come up with some, some specific information.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's you're not building a tool or an application. You're 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 the end product for you is the information you're getting. Whereas for like the machine learning engineering side is more like you're producing something uh that will continue to run and has to be supported in production. But I didn't actually answer the question of is data science different than machine learning? And I would say no, machine learning is a subset of data science. Okay. So like it's a part of data science as a whole, data science kind of being the big umbrella machine learning is one suite of tools used for data science.
0: Got it. Okay. A
1: core, a core set of tools. Like it's, 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 you know, you definitely need to know some basic machine learning algorithms. Um, but uh, data science is more than just the models, right? There's a lot more to going into it than just that.
0: Right. Right. Uh, and I, th- I think we'll touch on a little, a few of those other things that you need to know and uh, a little later in the podcast, but as far as, uh, you said the, the machine learning and, and, and modeling that we've talked about in, in prior podcasts. We talk about um, uh, the data that you need and all that kind of thing. You said data science relies obviously on, on some obvious data data input, observational data input or whatever. So what kind of data do you use in the jobs that you've done or what kind of data is required in order to do the type of algorithms and, and uh, mining or the the you know, the learning that is necessary to, get you know, to be able to present some useful information.
1: Yeah. So you did, you, you know, you mentioned the word mining and it's funny when I first entered the field, it wasn't actually called data science yet. Uh, at the time it was data mining. And then, um, you know, one group among many, I think they actually made an explicit like choice to, to, Change it to data science and reframe, it. informs is is one of the organizations that did that. But I think a bunch of of uh, people did that. So, um, you you do mine data because a lot of the data. So, like at a business, say Nike, right? Um, we're we're moving to, uh, our, a lot of our business to be online so that we can be direct to consumer. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can better serve consumers that way. And so we, you know, obviously we track when when people buy things from us, and we try to understand, you know. Um, you basically what what do they like about what don't they like about these things um, can we make better recommendations so when somebody's searching so think about like on google right um, when you when you search um, there are so many models that go into trying to give a response uh, that makes sense I mean just entering in the text right it has to to convert that to uh, essentially like what is it that they really want right we put something in uh, and that gets read in by models to actually like hone in on right, what do they really want? You know, you get like a, a a large maybe set of responses that might be viable and then those get re-ranked um, and then they get um, outputted to you. And there's several steps in there. So um, what, what data is used by businesses is basically any data that the business collects um, for a business that sells products. Right. We want to know, um, you know, what. Uh, what is it that people are buying? And what kinds of, of customers like what kinds of um, products? And uh, when do they buy these things? Uh, you know, what what color combinations work well? All sorts of things. But, you know, um, so, so businesses will often try to like profile their customers, you know, try to understand them so they can better, you know, maybe segmentation is, is often a word used for that, right? So try to segment customers into different groups that make sense and are interpretable. Like, oh, hey, these are the, you know, Cozy customers, they like cozy clothes or, you know, these are value customers. They only buy stuff when it's on sale or or those kinds of things. Mm. Um, But other businesses, um, you know, I'm so people that are businesses that sell stuff, um, you know, are mostly focused on trying to to make better products and sell more things. Um, But so if you're a, a medical company. Uh, or company or, you know, a hospital or, or perhaps a medical provider, or actually let's go to, let's go to like a financial firm, right? What is, what does Visa care about? What is, what does American Express care about? Right. They want to, um, they're trying to get more, uh, they're trying to prevent fraud, right. Is one thing. So so fraud prevention. So is this, um, they build models to do like risk scores on customers as well to try and say, Hey, if I, if I offer, uh, this, this, uh, credit card product or their product is the credit card, right? If I offer this product to this consumer, uh, is that consumer going to be able to actually like uh, handle it? And will I make, you know, make money off of that? Will they, will they, um, uh, default on their payments or anything? Can, can we be profitable with them? Are they a good, good person to sell to, um, or, or offer the credit card to? And then the fraud thing, I'll go back to that is, is basically like, Hey, is this transaction from this user or from this um, person? There was a there was a period of time where we lived in Baltimore, and um, this was actually just before we moved to San Diego and met and met you guys, Carl. And and we had our credit card uh, number stolen like three times within like a two month period. Um, oh my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so we That's get these notifications. <laughs> it was it, it was brutal. We felt <laughs> we felt pretty abused. But <laughs> but you know we get these notifications like, hey, is this is this your Transaction. we're like, uh, indeed, it is not. And I thought in my heart, I got warm and fuzzy, and I thought, thank you, data scientists. You,
0: know,
1: <laughs> you saved us a lot of trouble. But, you know, it's that yeah. kind of thing.
0: Uh, saving the world, one transa- fraud, fraudulent transaction at a time.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> they, <laughs> they saved their financial world. So I-
0: Exactly. Hey, that's <laughs> meaningful. Um, Okay, so one of the things that you mentioned that, that keyed me off, so uh, you said there's, you know, this is across a, a huge company, you can essentially use any type of data that they collect, and these massive companies like Nike or Visa or whatever, I mean, the databases are probably endless, right? The, all the data that they collect, that's got to be a bit challenging for, for a data scientist as far as aggregating data and getting access to all this data. Is that a problem that you run into frequently?
1: Yeah, so the the getting the data from the device or from whatever it is and putting it into a usable format is like, you know, 99% of of the work. It feels like, and 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 a lot of that happens before it ever gets to us, the data scientists. So like, let's take, so I support Nike Run Club, Nike Training Club. It's our, our fitness apps, and um, so like a user goes on a run and uh, we record, you know, their run and their stats, their heart rate and stuff. And if they give us permission. Um, uh, to use it, then we can, you know, provide recommendations and provide interesting statistics for them and good feedback, back, et cetera. So that data, right, is it's it's recorded, cached on the phone, right? So saved locally, and then gets it's sent over, to, you know, to to our um, databases, and but it comes in in a, in a format that is, you know, not directly uh, ingestible by algorithms, right? Um, have you ever, just curious, have you ever seen or heard of Clickstream data, Carl?
0: That sounds very familiar. Okay. Uh, but not, I guess I haven't worked with it directly because it only sounds
1: familiar. Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, when you're when you're browsing a website or scrolling around in your phone, like things get recorded, like all the actions get recorded. And, uh, you know, that might sound scary, but like it's, it's the reality of, I mean, if you go online, everything you do gets recorded. Um, yeah. YouTube, I mean, everything, right? So like, um, so this data comes in and the clickstream format and everything is called tagged, which means like, hey, this event happened, they clicked on this button, they scrolled this far on the screen or whatever. Um, you know, so let's say you're on YouTube, let's use that as an example, right? You, you watch a, a um, you know, video for three minutes or whatever. Uh, and that has a bunch of associated metadata, which is just information about the video, um, it has the actual video itself, Right. Um, you know, what uh, you know, what video title, what uh, sort of genre video, all sorts of just just lots and lots, and lots of stuff. But, um, you know, you scroll through a lot of different videos and all that's tracked about all those things. So that can get put into a database and then all of these things in order to be ingested into an algorithm have to be in many cases turned into tabular data, uh, which is basically like each, you know, think of like a spreadsheet. Right. Where each column is some sort of input, so some sort of uh, feature that we care about. So when I say feature, I mean um, yeah, I'll use a different word. So like a a, a column of uh, an interesting thing about um, say the video, right? So if we have data about your YouTube video uh, watching, you know there could be one about how long did they watch this video. Um, what was the topic of the video? What were, And maybe there's like 10 topics. Like What were the top 10 topics for that video? Um, what are other, you know, et, et cetera, et cetera. And you get that for all the videos and then you can, uh, but it has to be tabulated or uh, put into a format that actually makes sense for ingesting into an algorithm. So like you got data engineers who are just getting the clickstream data and like making sure it gets like dropped into a database somewhere, just like raw. Like we just need it. And then right. you have other data engineers that like start to transform it and make it uh, more into like a you know row column format. And then somewhere along the lines, either another set of data engineers will help featureize it and turn it into inputs into a model, or the data scientist himself will just featureize it and uh, to put it in the right format to go into whatever model uh, is needed. I don't know if that helps. I don't know if that was uh absolutely no.
0: That was okay. that was very useful. I I, I actually. I, uh, came up with another question while you were talking as far as um, I'd imagine that as a da- data scientist, you're getting a, you know, a deluge of, of data and information. But if you're trying to solve a specific problem, there might be a scenario where you're, you're missing data, right? Where you, you need a particular piece of information that isn't available. Um, do you have avenues to go back and, and get uh, essentially ask for the more or a different type of data de- data you know, a feature to be added that uh, isn't currently being um, recorded or tracked
1: uh, yeah so often often you'll work with a uh, product team so the product team owns whatever quote product it is that is generating the data so for youtube for instance they have a product team and in fact there are product teams for like like every little itty bitty feature there's probably like a you know a larger product team and then there are product managers that probably manage like each a little itty bitty piece of say YouTube. And so let's suppose, you know, you want to know um, something that, that you didn't have before. I'm trying to give an example of something that, <laughs> but, you know, let's say, hey, I need to know, um, you know, where their mouse was when they were looking at the the video assuming they're wa- watching on a PC and that's that's stupid but let's just you know just, pretend, right. Right? just for, for example sure yeah yeah can 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 you give that to us and then we're like oh well we don't track that right now but um, what we can do is and then this is where you get into this whole <laughs> uh, Working with the product team to get something onto the roadmap, like oh, but we can get that on the roadmap, and so they're like, okay, uh-huh. well, how much work, you know, how much worth is it? Like, is it actually worth it? And then, but right. you can work with the product team, see if they can prioritize it and get some develop development time to actually add whatever functionality is necessary to track that thing. Um, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, um, but it usually takes time. And then you have to wait for that to actually happen, and then wait for data to come in. But the thing is, right, it doesn't take too long to get. A good size of data because right there's so many users um, uh-huh. using apps that like you can get quite a bit of, of data within like a week's time to start making meaningful um, you know inputs or or analysis.
0: Okay, and that's actually something I want to come back to later. Also, is you know you've worked for Nike, I have worked for Petsmart before as well. Uh, these uh-huh. large companies, um, I'd be interested to, to you know, we'll, well revisit this as far as what, how this might be handled in in cases where you have maybe not as much data or or not as complete data um okay but i did want before we do that i was going to ask you about just algorithms so this is uh i guess where the layman really are both don't have any familiarity but are also probably most interested in what you do and how you do it um mike is is the idea that like okay well you've got all this data you know what statistical or mathematical things are you doing to it to actually glean useful information from it
1: okay so i'm gonna gonna maybe i'm gonna try to maybe do some myth busting a little bit a lot of times i think what people imagine when when they hear data scientists if they have like any idea or maybe they've worked with some before a lot of times they'll think that we're kind of like sitting in front of excel and like making all sorts of cuts and like yeah okay i'm gonna say i'll probably insult somebody out there but like they, they imagine an excel jockey right somebody who's like in excel all day like doing all sorts of cuts and pivots and stuff and that is not that's not it at all um you actually my my day to day is programming. I program in Python and and uh, PySpark, right? And uh, every now and then I'll sneak back into R, but like it's mostly you know Python and 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 PySpark. So like a you're programming. Um and and uh so you asked about algorithms, like what algorithms yep. do you use? Okay, so the question is, all right, well well what what is an algorithm? And an algorithm is basically it's a recipe to get a desired outcome from inputs that you provide it. Okay. So that's that's sort of the the basic, the abstract, what is an algorithm, right? You provide inputs. It does some magic in the middle and it provides an expected output. Okay. So let's learn a little bit more about what's the magic in the middle. Well, oftentimes you, so you have an objective, right? You want to let's, let's say, let's use a classic spam uh, classifier. You want to know is an email spam or isn't it? We kind of take this for granted today because the spam filters are really so dang good that we don't even think much about it anymore. But like back in the day when these things were first coming out, you could tell that the models had a long way to go, right? I mean, you were getting all sorts of junk uh, that would go through, right? But they're really good today. But they weren't always.
0: Saudi Arabia did contact me frequently. He stopped recently. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yes. Yes, I have so many dear dear sir emails that I've read. Um, so yeah, so let's think about it. what we want to do is say, all right, we get a, a bunch of uh, we have an email that comes in and we want to know, is this email spam or is it not spam? How do we how do we know? Well, what it's trying to do, what we're going to build with uh, the algorithm we're going to use is a classifier. We're going to classify the email as spam or not spam. So the outcome is, so then, okay, well, you have to make that numeric, right? So it needs to be like a zero or a one in this case, or, you know, depending on what algorithm you're using, it could be different. But the point is, it's uh, two classes, yes, no, spam, not spam. So the algorithm has to judge how well it's doing in predicting if it's spam or not spam. So um, what what you want to do is you need to have some sort of metric for that, right, some some sort of way to um, measure that. And, uh, you know, early early models, um, I'm going to, you know, some very simple algorithms that we use for, for classification are um, you know, like a logistic regression. But maybe I'll actually just go to the very simplest because I think that's the easiest way to understand an algorithm. So let's say you're trying to predict, um, let's say you're trying to predict somebody's income based off of education, maybe where they live, uh, maybe their job that they have. Um, marital status. Uh, this is sort of a classic uh, economics problem, um, but, but you have these inputs, right? And you want to know, well, what's their income based on these things? So you're trying to predict a number and then you have a bunch of, you have, I'm going to call it the Y variable. That's the response, the thing you care, care about predicting. So you have a bunch of income for people and you have information about them, right? You have their marital status, you have number, you know, or, or, their um, education level, you have their maybe zip code and other things like that, right, that are sort of uh, their educational attainment, things that you think could influence or be an indicator for their income. Uh-huh. So what you're trying to do is um, in regression, you essentially say, okay, um, let's take, let's take um, educational attainment. Or uh, let's make it even simpler. Let's say, like, let's predict somebody's income based off of their um, GPA. What would you expect, Carl? Uh, would you expect income to go up or down as as GPA goes up or down?
0: You'd imagine it would go up. I'd imagine the uh, the correlation would be not particularly strong, but um,
1: yeah. Go yeah, ahead. you'd imagine right. you'd imagine it go up, right? Right. And then. Um, so, so, and then say there are other other inputs like that. So, yes, yeah, so you'd imagine. So now let's let's do this. Let's predict. Uh, in and, and we you don't have video here. You can't see it. But now imagine you in your um in your mind, you have um on on you have an x and a y axis. The y is the vertical. The x is the horizontal. And I'm and i hopefully I'm not being pedantic to you, Carl. I'm just doing this for the no, audience's no, no. sake. Okay, good. So like you have a, a horizontal axis. We're gonna make a little chart and a vertical axis right? Horizontal is um, the higher the GPA you have, the the further you go to the right. And the vertical axis is the higher income you have, um, the higher you go on the vertical axis. So you'd imagine if you were to plot GPA versus income, it'd be roughly up and to the right. It'd be a cloud of points kind of going up and to the right, right? Yeah. On average, you'd expect the higher GPA that you have that eventually you have a higher income. Um, right? Not that it's directly causing it, but it is a part of the whole process that goes into getting a better income. So this is just to illustrate kind of one way of, of this is an algorithm. So you're like, okay, well, how can I, to build a model, I wanna generalize that relationship I see. It looks like it's sort of up and to the right. So if you were to draw a line that kind of fits the trend of those points, what, what, would, you, what would you, how would it look, Carl?
0: Um, it would go uh from the bottom left to the top right
1: yeah and and so that you just drew you just drew a line and you just created a model. you just modeled income based on g p a now if it's a good model or not, that's another question but you you just built a model right um right now, an algorithm that would help you do this to draw the best line through that cloud of points to build the best model according to certain criteria uh, is linear regression. And what that does is it it takes the error, so the difference between that line that you've drawn and the actual value for, so for each value of GPA, the actual income value for that GPA, right? And it says, all right, what's the difference, right? So let's say the model predicts for a GPA of 3.8, your income is going to be $100,000, But uh, the actual was 120,000, so that's 20,000 off. Let's actually make this a little easier for me. Let's say it was 101,000 or 100,001 dollars, but the model predicted 100,000 or maybe 100,002. So basically, it takes the error and it says, "Okay, I want to I want to minimize the error between the prediction and the actual." And there's a trick that's used in so many algorithms where they take the error. And they penalize it in some way. So they might square it, so multiply it times itself, Um, and then they take, they do that for every single point. They square all of those errors, and then they will, right, take the average of all those errors. It's called the mean squared error. And they want to, and they have some, uh, the algorithm has some math that some people have proved that if you do these certain, basically, um, if you can minimize that mean squared error, you will find the line of best fit. Um, And you try to find the line that actually minimizes that. And there are some formulas that some smart people have come up with that if you can just solve the math in that formula, it will give you the line of best fit. And then if you've met some assumptions that go into it, then you can make certain statements about that model, how good the model is, how much error the model has, what's the variance of of the, the outputs, what's the bias of your predictions. And you can sort of Characterize the outputs of the model and characterize the model itself in a way that you can understand it, and it's repeatable and it's useful. It's not perfect, but it is it is characterized in a rich enough way that you can rely on it for making informed statements. Um, so the just right before I've been I'm going a long time, but but so we did no, that was great. Just, we did that with one variable or one input, which was just GPA. But you can generalize this to a whole host of inputs, right? So multiple linear regression where you have a lot of inputs still all going into uh, predicting a single output. But they get combined uh, and they get added together, right? And so what will happen is this model, you'll get a coefficient, which is the slope of the line, right? So we didn't say what that was, but we, we, you, we implied it was a positive coefficient, right? Because the model is going up and to the right. So the slope of that line was up and to the right. So that's positive. But now you can do that for all the different um, inputs. So imagine now you have a, so if if you were to make, if you were to have, you know, two two inputs where the output is still the, 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 you know, the Y, but you know, let's say you have one going out in the Z axis kind of away from you, you have like a 3D set of data, right? And you could still find a line to go through that, that now 3D cloud. Um, and the math still applies. But now you can go into as many dimensions as makes sense to still meet all the assumptions. And you have a multi-dimensional, quote, cloud of points where you're putting a line through it and it, and, and using the math behind the whole mean squared error thing I talked about, the algorithm of linear regression, to, to get a line of best fit in that sort of hyperspace. Um, right. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, But that is that is sort of like the That's like the basic algorithm. um, And it's just the ideas there that apply to all these other fancy algorithms. Right. Sure. Uh, There's there's some measure of error or loss right, telling you how well you're doing. And then you there are ways to take advantage of how that is measured, constructed to improve it, to get a better model. But I'll I'll stop there because that was a lot. Uh,
0: no, that's uh, great, and I think this is this is particularly and uh, useful. I think we've we've done some a podcast in the past where we talked a little bit about statistics. We, talked, we did a podcast where we talked a little bit about machine learning. But I think you're distinguishing yourself as knowing a lot about this field, Mike, because you're able to speak to it simply while also you know explaining concepts that are uh, you know very basic to the to the, the field, and then relating it to how you actually use it day to day. So uh, I think it's great. Thank you. Um, well, good. We'll,
1: we'll see. We'll see what the comments have to say about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but thank the, you very the gallery much, Gallery. will have their their input. Uh, uh, no, the uh, that, that's great. So, um, you mentioned uh, the the tools that you can that you use. You said you use you know so you program. Use Python and PySpark, and um, so. But as far as um, the the obviously you you need some some background and. In, in, uh, statistics and programming, i, I those are our, our tools as far as, like, educational familiarity with something as a tool. But I guess what yeah. kind of tool set do you need to, to, to as a data scientist?
1: Okay. Um. Well, so a clarification question for me. Do you want to know, like, what kind of training is typical and useful to become a data scientist? And then also want to know, like, what is a day-to-day sci- – like, what do you use – in your day to day as a data scientist, all or is of the it... above. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so as you're, as you're, if you want to become a data scientist or considering it, um, so we talked about one algorithm, linear regression, right? So when is that? When is it appropriate to use linear regression? Well, it's appropriate when you're trying to predict uh, a continuous. Number basically, you know, a number that's going from negative, whatever large number to positive, large number. But if you're trying to classify, it's no longer the right model, and there are reasons for that. You know, how do you know where the line so So, basically, you need to understand and learn about all these algorithms, um, and you need to understand their weaknesses, their pros, and their cons, how they work, um, so like, uh, and what measure or what metrics make sense. So, like, what does it mean to be good using this algorithm? How can I understand? How well the model has actually modeled the process I'm thinking about, and so uh, often there's a set of courses that you'll you'll take in undergrad or grad school, um, or if you're you know learning yourself, getting a certificate or something on Coursera or, or elsewhere, right? You'll need to learn about you know take a machine learning course, and and there's like a um, there's like a canonical book um, called uh, Elements of Statistical Learning um, by Hastie and Tibshirani which goes through all good, of these uh, good light reading. It sounds like Yeah, <laughs> there is a lighter version. There's a graduate <laughs> version and undergraduate. And what's okay. great is they have released the PDF version um, for free. Uh, they're out of Stanford. So anyway, you oh, can nice. actually, yeah. So if you want to, it is available. And I think they even have old lectures on YouTube. I mean, there's tons of stuff, but it, the point is there, there's generally, you're going to take a couple of courses on these algorithms. So you just need to know them because you, that's your tool set, right? It's like, okay, you know, if you're going to be a good carpenter, you need to know how to use a saw well. When do you use an uh, oscillating saw versus a, a circular saw? When do you use a chop saw or you know versus a table saw? You got to know when to use your tools, right? So you can be efficient, so you can be you know be quick, but also make sure you're actually producing something that's useful and don't spend right. three weeks building something that's dumb, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so you need to algorithms. And then you need to have like, okay, so good. You need to understand sort of the, the, the concepts behind the algorithms, but then you need to be able to implement them, which is the programming part, right? All this is implemented. And the thing is, most of it, another myth that I wanted to bust is like people also sometimes will think, oh, so you must be really, really good at math. Or like you do math all day. No, I don't do math all day. <laughs> Somebody somewhere has implemented this algorithm. Somebody else did some really good math one day. And implemented it in uh, implemented the algorithm in a programming language, uh, and released that in a package in Python so that I could then use it. Now I have to understand the parameters that go into the algorithm, and I should understand math well enough to like get the the loss functions, et cetera. So you need to understand math to understand the algorithms. And okay, sometimes if you want-
0: there's there's a layman out there that's saying, why am I taking this calculus right now?
1: But yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, you do need that, right? You need to understand the theory, etc. And you know, depending. So, if you're more machine learning, uh, or excuse me, machine engineer, um, machine learning engineer side, uh, oftentimes you will be the ones implementing the groundbreaking algorithms uh, into whatever language. Or if you need to say, say it's written in Python, but you need it done in, um, you know, some language that's closer to the metal to be super efficient, right? Uh-huh. You might be the one implementing it, um. So, so there is definitely that. Uh, you're also going to be getting paid a million dollars a year. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> not even, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. <laughs> right, um, yeah, uh-huh. So, so yeah, yeah, basically you need to know the algorithms. You need to be able to implement or use the algorithms in a language that is efficient enough uh, for whatever um, company you're working for, basically whatever platforms you're on. Um, the statistics go into all of that. Like that's sort of the, you're sort of swimming in a background of statistics, right? So you need to be able to understand you know, like hypothesis testing and, and that kind of thing. Cause you know, how, how well is my model working? Is it actually working better than, you know, just making stuff up? Um, so that goes into it. Um, but the day to day, um, so that's sort of a little bit of the background. Uh, and that's not too different from what you'd probably find if you, if you went online, right. They, uh, you'll, you'll see like a Venn diagram of like statistics, um, programming. And then it depends on the third one can be a bunch of different things, business acumen or, or other stuff. But, uh, There's definitely like, you got to understand, you know, the algorithms, the programming to implement it. And then uh, oftentimes it's domain knowledge or something. Okay, so the day-to-day is often, if you work for a company, they'll either, uh, they'll have like a a cloud-based platform um, that you could program in, or you just will do it locally. That happens less and less because the cloud vendors will give you scalable compute so that you can actually like handle the data you're working with. So a lot of times the data will just be like in a data lake, which sounds crazy, but what a data lake is just like, uh, it is storage that is organized and accessed into tables of various technologies. Hive tables are sort of the classic, but they're sort of going away because they're a little slower than what they could be. But basically you just got a bunch of tables sitting somewhere and then you have a system sitting on top of it that can access it. So old school would be like an, you know, Oracle database, but those are that's really old school. And nowadays, the data lake is often you'll have Spark um, use use Spark to access the data which is sitting in the data lake, um, and Spark is is uh, parallel. It's uh, it's parallelized compute basically, and it's it's done in a way that. You can do a lot of the tasks you need to do all inside the same language, and in the language and in the API language you prefer. So I prefer Python, so I do PySpark, but it's written in Scala. But you can also use Java if you really hate yourself, or you could <laughs> <laughs> or you could use R. Um, anyway, so so I spend most of my day um, uh, using using PySpark to extract from the data lake, and then I'll featureize with PySpark, and depending on the algorithm. Some algorithms are actually in PySpark um, or I'll drop it down into all. So that's all like sitting in clusters, right? So you've got like a driver node that's sort of managing all the work. The data is sitting out on like um, a bunch of other compute that's attached to the driver um, and they're sort of networked. And then and then so um, you'll you'll do some sort of transformation on the data, the direction to do that gets sent out to the workers. The workers will do the thing, and then they'll, if if necessary, report back some sort of summary of that they did that, or they'll, you know, you'll you'll see what you need to see. And um, that all happens in parallel. But then, let's say I featureize it, and I need to do, um, I'll, I'll say this because people are probably curious. Let's say you needed to do a deep learning algorithm. So you'll either bring it um, to the driver, which is, uh, and, and bring it all in one machine and treat it more like uh, a single machine. Uh, or there are versions of uh, these algorithms that can actually like train in parallel. So like part of the data will be over here in this um, node getting trained and in that node and that node all in parallel. And then periodically we'll report back, say that loss function um, that, you know, I talked about that mean squared error. Think of the loss as being like the metric that tells you how well your model is performing. Um, it makes adjustments to the uh I'll say the parameters, and then it gets sent back. Um, th- that's really not a great explanation, but I'm, tr- I'm trying to keep it simple. Sure, no, that, that works. Anyway, so so I'll be sitting. Most of my time, I'm sitting I, and I'm, I'm working in PySpark, and then dropping things down into you know pandas data frames and using scikit-learn or other stuff, uh, or um, just keeping it um, in in PySpark itself. Um, so I, you kind of jump back and forth, and it really depends on what problem I'm trying to solve. Uh, what is, what's the latest approach for this kind of thing? You know, you do like a baseline model and then you'll build, um, you know, maybe a more, um, advanced or a, a later approach to solving a problem to see if you can improve on it. Um, and if you need to drop it down to like your local machine or to the driver, you'll, you'll basically unparallelize it and bring it down. I don't know if that actually helped or if that just muddied the water even more. No, so you that tell was... me was...
0: I thought that was awesome. I think that was uh, an underscores to the uh, the listeners here that a lot of what you just said spoke to the work. Uh, I mean, not directly, obviously. I'm not a data scientist, but a lot of that's computer science work. Um, and so, I, there's a lot of computer science in your day to day. It sounds like.
1: Yeah. Well, that that thing is like my, most data scientists coming out of universities these days are coming out of computer science programs, right? Okay. Um, uh, It's I think it's becoming the exception. Um, I don't have any numbers on it, but I think I think most really good data science programs are like in a computer science department. My alma mater, which did not have a data science program, I got a Ph.D. in systems engineering. The department was systems engineering, but there was a research center um, for data mining, which is what it was called at the time. Right. It was the um, predictive technology laboratory. Right. Uh But now they have a school of data science um, and their approach is different. But most most uh, centers will or most universities will uh, house it in computer science because like you noticed it, you're programming, you're doing a lot of programming. And the the machine learning engineers almost always start with the programming because. Sure. um, Right. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's. That, that's really good because, yeah, my layman understanding of what you you do and or uh, was that there was a lot of statistics and uh, maybe you did a lot in R all the time, R being the statistical programming language. Um, but it sounds like you just, I mean, you obviously do need to have the background in statistics, like you said, and and the math. But if you don't have a very strong background in computer science, you're you're probably not going to be particularly useful um in today's data science world
1: yeah and i'll, and I'll say this my work has been um, the flavor of my data science has been more machine learning engineering um mm-hmm. at at nike the last little bit at PetSmart. i was more of a classical data scientist i built models and i put models into production but i did do a bit more analytics as well um and so like it, it really depends on where you are and, and how that divide works at a, at a company where there aren't a lot of data scientists, where you don't have a really big data science group, you will most likely be doing stuff across the whole spectrum. And I think there is a lot to be said about that in a good way. I, it's fun. It's fun to do lots of different kinds of work. If that's what you enjoy, of course, sure. you don't. Um, but, but, but it, when I first came out of grad school, I did do a lot more in R um, and was, Uh, It it was it was less putting stuff into production, but I'd also say it was also when things weren't quite as mature um, and really only like the major tech companies were doing uh, putting things into production. You know, like Google was founded on putting an algorithm in production for search. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Yes. so. Uh, Along the lines of of just the the various aspects of jobs that you've done before, and and in particular, analytics, um, I I imagine that in order to get uh, to to explore the data and and, uh, just um, beyond just models, you're going to want some visualization. Um, Is that something that you deal with? Do you do data visualization? Um, Is that – a tool set you work with, something that you produce, uh, or is that ever needed in your in your field?
1: So in the field, generally, absolutely. And and on the analytics side, it is one of the primary products, right? You you're trying to understand and see things, so you'll produce you'll produce statistics of interest, right? Things that describe what's happening, um, what's the average sales, or, or you know what was the the trailing twelve months. Um, you know, sales or other things like that. But then you'll also want to like visualize it and see if there's something you can just detect visually. Is there a pattern I could notice visually? And so analytics will often produce visualizations and, you know, and, and that's great. And in, in saying that um, it 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 helps, it is good practice to do exploratory data analysis no matter what kind of model you're building, right? You just want to understand uh kind of what are you dealing with? Like what kind of data do I have here? Uh am I missing data? Like it, are there biases I should be aware of? Like what's what's is it messier than I thought it was? You just you're trying to characterize the data itself. Like, who who is this, you know, or what is this data that I that I right. have, right? Um, and so you should you should always do exploratory exploratory data analysis, which has visualization in it. Um you know, you're looking at histograms, which is just like how often uh values of that. Thing you're looking at, say sales fall within certain bins of, of numbers. So like, how how many sales were between zero and 100, and 100 and 200, and 200 and 300, and, you know you get a shape, right? Oftentimes it'll be like that bell curve shape. So like, what's the shape of it? Like literally, what's the shape of that curve? Is it extremely skewed, right? Is there a huge tail? Um, is it nice and is it bimodal? Are there two humps? Um, and that just helps you understand what you're dealing with because then when you're trying to build a model, you need to in some cases account for that in some cases you don't have to count for it at all um and so yeah visualization is important uh, i happen to be working on something currently that requires a lot of visualization i've been making some really cool maps and i've been doing some charting and i actually did uh ironically uh did some work at doing some excel work which i hadn't done in years
0: <laughs> but it's- so wait a second that myth you busted it sounds like uh, maybe <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but it's ironic because I honestly I haven't done this in a long 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 time. And in fact, I've now found a way where I don't have to touch Excel again. Um, I just uh, I hadn't uh, done it properly in the in, anyway. It, it point, oh, but I, but I did do it. I did do it for a little bit. But it but it's also just like a this specific project happens to to lend itself to doing visualization. So yes, there's some sure. visualization analytics that is typically one of the the main outputs is visualization. Uh, Machine learning engineering side, uh, often it's just like part of the work stream to getting to like, hey, what am I dealing with? And then moving on. Like it's not generally the output.
0: Right. I'd imagine that that in cases where you're dealing with, uh, you know, trying to inform business decisions, if you have to take this to people that are outside of the data science, computer science field, um, that visualizations would... They're going to help your case, because if you're talking like model, you know, multiple regression numbers, you're going to lose people, which hopefully we haven't lost people here, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But if you're talking, you're showing people curves and numbers and and, uh, stats, you know, then
1: the people, it's much easier to connect. um, Right. Absolutely. Right. So what do people respond to? They respond to stories. Right. They respond to, hey, this is interesting. Something is happening here. A and B happened, then that led to C, and therefore I can do D, right? And so visualizations help that story very, very uh, much. You, you you pull up a chart and it's like, well, I noticed that in these areas, um, you know, things declined, but then as time moved on, let's say you have a couple, you know, you have a snapshot with a later time period, look how much it changed, right? The story is the change that happened. Um, right. and, then, and then you can know what to look into. Oh, we should check out, um, you know, our... Or, uh, you know, what happened at our store at this location and this location? Um, they're they're different from these other ones. Wow, look an Outlier. That's crazy. Um, and so, yeah, it, it helps you tell the story uh, and helps you to make it compelling. And often, you know, we're visual people. We, we use sight and can see patterns uh, that maybe if you just saw the raw numbers, it wouldn't be easy to detect. So, yeah, absolutely. Visualization okay. helps when working with the business 100%.
0: Before I get to the last couple of questions I have kind of I guess about specific instances of 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 uh, the data that you've used and and ways it's helped um I wanted to pass uh see if either Tim or Johnny or we've been joined by Matt uh have any uh questions about the the kind of the the whole data science picture that you've painted for us so far. Uh Tim?
2: I'll just uh here's just one kind of uh, sorry an overall question you're you know you you know a thing or two about data (laughs) and as an expert um do you so for for the average joe who doesn't have all your your training and experience and understanding um are there ever times where you see data um in the public sphere used or misunderstood in ways where you wish you could just if you could give all of us regular Joes out uh, here, you know, one or two pieces of advice as we encounter and use data in our lives, you know, do you, any, what, what advice or, or tips would you give to us? You know, maybe,
1: yeah, anyways. No, that's that's a really great question because you're right. It, it There are a lot of data analysis has become sort of a part of the reporting cycle, right? People like to know stats and, and things, especially around like elections, right? Polling results, et cetera, you know, and they got uh, you know 538 with its predictions. Um, and so like, how, how can you keep from being deceived or tricked or how can you at least be, you know, help, you know, skeptical in a healthy way? And, and I think that is it is like, oftentimes um, I, I, I am an optimistic person and I generally give the benefit of the doubt. Um, but when it comes to these sort of things, you know, Try and see if you can corroborate something you heard at one place in at most mul- in multiple sources, right so just have a couple of places um, that you can go to that sort of corroborate what you've heard um, also think about like w- what's the incentive what's the bias that the person or the organization might have in reporting in a certain way right of course uh you know Philip Morris funding a study on the effects of cigarettes and lung cancer is gonna have a bias uh, <laughs> against it right so like just. And it's that sort of common sense stuff, right? It's like, all right, what bias could exist? Can I, can this be corroborated somewhere else? Um, And that's what scientists, scientists do all the time, right? Is they try and try and just like debunk each other's work. And so you kind of try to do that a little bit yourself uh, and see if anybody else has said something against it. Now, obviously, you know, you're going to, you're going to get different stories if you have two opposing parties, say in an election or whatever. Um, But you know, just, just do your best to 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 be aware of that. Now, to become literate in in uh, I guess a, a data sense, it does help to understand what is a margin of error. What does that mean when they say margin of error? Um, mm. You know, w- it wouldn't hurt to maybe understand like, you know, when the doctor gives a prognosis of, hey, you have six to eight months. Right? there's a window of confidence around that. They're giving you something that is, you know typical, but it's not always the case. Just because something has a 10% chance doesn't mean that it's impossible. Um, It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean it. And just because something has a 90% chance doesn't mean it's inevitable. How many times do we see a weather forecast that says 87% or 70% chance of rain and it doesn't rain? Then they're like, oh, they were wrong. No, they weren't wrong. It was just the 30% this time. So Mm -hmm. that kind of thing.
0: Just so you know, Mike, one of our recent podcasts was uh, talking about conspiracy theories. So Tim's really down that rabbit hole. So.
2: Yeah, I, I uh, disagree with everything you just said. Because <laughs> clearly, part of the, um,
0: you're, you're one of them.
1: <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Can't oh, get man. me. <laughs>
0: Uh, oh, boy. Tim is not actually down that rabbit hole. For people that may just be jumping on to listen to Mike uh, talk about data science, Tim is not actually crazy, but uh, oh, we, do, we we do we do like pretending that he is. So that's right.
2: It's more fun that way.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you like, oh boy.
2: Oh, that's. No, funny. thank you. That you sounds right. like sound advice to right. me. I am I'm, I'm actually real attuned to that, just because as a teacher, I I feel like this is something that isn't part of our the the uh, cultural skill set that we we uh, pass on to our next generation is a new thing. That there's no script for teaching young people how to how to do this, and so, anyways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's All it's right. a
0: challenge for sure. Uh, Johnny, did, did you have something?
1: The real doctor?
3: Yeah, um,
0: I got a <laughs> question. <laughs> that's right, Doctor <laughs> yeah, Johnny so right. and, and <laughs> Doctor of Medical Science, Johnny. <laughs>
3: Doctorate Mike, I have a question for you. <laughs> um, so I've heard, so I, you know, as far as how data is collected, I know that, you know, whenever you're doing anything online, this is all being collected. Um, so I've heard things about like, this may sound kind of dumb, but like if you're searching for a flight to a destination, Um, how that's all being tracked. And then if you go to the same website and search the flight again, then, uh, the prices will be higher based on, you know, if you go look at flights again, then you may, and you see the prices going up, then you're probably more likely to buy, um, you know, I'm sure there's some type of data analysis on that.
1: Oh, absolutely. That's personalized pricing. Yep.
3: Yeah. So the, um, The idea to get around that is to use some type of private browser on your internet um, Mm -hmm. that isn't like saving the information that you're putting in. But does that actually
1: work? That's my question. Yeah. I've totally, I've totally gone to Amazon and been like, Hey, uh, you know, I haven't totally cracked their algorithm, but um, I, I I've, seen this exact same thing amazon 100 percent personalizes their pricing and they'll fill the coupon i might you know i might get a coupon applied offer on mine and you might not get it and to see what just the standard folks would see or, or basically yeah log out or go in a private browser you know or clear your cookies um clear your cash and then go and, and and check it out and oftentimes it'll be a different price amazon does it other places do it. we don't do that nike doesn't do that um but uh a lot of places to do that. And what happens is, you know, you hear about cookies. Those are going away. I don't know what they're being replaced with, but basically that is not just you said going back to the same website and the price will be different. But, you know, when you like search for something and then you're on Facebook or, you know, Instagram or something and you see an ad about that topic, that's because they're looking at your cookies and they say, oh, just earlier today they were searching for, you know, good grills. And look, here's a, a, a grill that, you know, we think you'd be interested in. So it's not just the same site; other sites can see it too.
3: Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, that's really helpful.
0: For sure. Um, Matt, did you have any questions? Matt joined us a little late here, but he's on. you uh, have Matt's? But Mike's just you know Matt has a, a background in, in uh, math and, and physics as well, so he's got uh, m- maybe a different type of question, Matt.
1: Oh, what do you know? Um, uh, look, the uh, time is up. I gotta run. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so with
0: all of that build-up, no, I didn't have any questions, good
3: explanations.
0: (laughs) That's because Matt, uh, yeah, uh,
3: understands all of it. Um, Okay. (laughs) I have one more thing. I I just want to thank you for, uh, for your field so that I never have to look for what I might want. It just is always in front of me whenever I'm online. It's like here, this is what you really need, and I'm like, wow, they
1: know better than I know myself. So. It's so true. Oh my gosh, it's so true, right? You're like, all right, I I know I kind of think, I, you know, yeah, you're right. It's great. I love
0: it. I I know people. Yeah, there's people out there, and maybe people with legitimate concerns about uh, privacy or whatever, but the uh, degree to which I. I I don't why would I not want to see a targeted ad or why would I not want to see a you know what this suggestions that actually have to do with something I'm interested in so I love it
1: yeah and and you can find like so we bought a a, another stand up pedal board just a couple weeks ago and you know you you go you find the the first one right and then you go down and you're like all right uh, similar products or whatever it's just a product similarity thing it's a simple model but it's great and then you can see like all right what are other models that are out there like customers ended up buying these ones right and so you can usually find like the equivalent product but like a hundred bucks cheaper in the case of the stand-up hat award but it's the same quality pretty much you everything's the same good ratings but you just didn't find it before because it didn't pop up but you can like sort of use these um different areas of the website that personalize to your search and uh, get great deals for pretty much the same product i mean it's i love it too yeah for sure. it's
0: wonderful. So on that line, my last question to wrap up the podcast, I guess, is just in what ways do you think data science is improving the world?
1: OK, um, so what well, we just talked about one way, right, we can find great products, but there's more to right. it than that. Uh, so one thing I didn't talk about at all was I mostly focused on like business data, but so much of the progress that's happened has been in um, natural language processing, which Carl is, you know, your area. And then also computer vision. And so computer vision for John um, often aids and helps uh, in like radiology diagnoses. So like what's actually happening, you know, they get images of x-rays or other uh, imaging technologies and can actually spot um, potentially, you know, cancerous areas or other tumors or other, you know, disease um, trained on, you know, millions of, of uh, accurately labeled um, x-rays or other things and uh, can then highlight areas of interest to then show to physicians to actually make a call. Yes, it's, it's, you know, malignant or not, or, or you know, that is truly cancer. So like uh, that is, that is absolutely huge. I don't think we've done a great job of making that a good process yet. It's still something to be worked on, but we can aid and speed up uh, this kind of, uh, you know, diagnosis and uh, those sorts of things because physicians are just like overwhelmed. So um, making that automatable or, or quickly uh, helping physicians spot things is, is, I think, a great area. Um, obviously, just making the information of the world searchable is a huge thing, right? That's sort of the whole boom of the Internet, right? Google just made information available uh, and it's searchable. And then, um, you know, recently there's been a lot of uh, interest in these sort of generative models that create art from phrases that you provide. So stable mm-hmm. diffusion, I think, is the most recent um, open source one, right? Just making really cool art just by, you know, putting a phrase in. I think that's neat. Artists probably hate it, but for the rest of us, I think it's a pretty fascinating thing. It's really fun. Um, and then just automating a lot of a lot of our lives. Um, I, I don't think I've maybe hit the, the best points, but those are the things that kind of just entered my mind um, just as we were talking. But I'm sure there are some, some better things I probably could have thought of if I'd
0: no, those are great. And uh, yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm sure you could go on for a while and the ways that data science is improving the world and, and the potential that it has in the future uh, is enormous. So, um, well, Mike, really appreciate uh, you coming on. We've got, like I said, we've got a history of having wonderful guests, doctorates in lots of different fields. and uh, But this has been a great podcast and thank you for your time. You bet. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Uh, we'll be back again next podcast. Until then, uh, Tim will sing you a song. <laughs> quick, <laughs> quick, take, turn right, off your bye. Stop, stop the podcast. <laughs> Have a good one. Thanks, Mike.